Self-promotion is something that most of us have trouble with, at least some of the time. Most of us, most of the time. Whether that is at work, in our own business, to associates, to potential friends or partners, it's often, well, I don't know where you live, but it's part of the culture definitely here in Scotland and the UK. You're not allowed to say good things about yourself. At least that's the way we're brought up. As adults, more often than not, it's very advantageous to be able to sell your merits. Sometimes not by saying what they are directly, but in your way of dealing with people. So, welcome to episode 27 of the Be Yourself and Love It podcast with me, Anthony Samarov. This is a show that went out originally on The Rational Rise. Check them out at therationalrise.com. A former client of mine phoned into a popular YouTube show called Freedom in Radio. Some of you may have listened to it before to talk to Stefan Molyneux, very successful YouTuber, to talk about the trouble that he was having putting himself out there promoting his book. And overhearing him uh, enjoyed the show, I thought that I wanted to have another conversation with him on that topic and well this is that conversation it's not an official coaching conversation it's just an informal chat so I hope you enjoy that and I hope that it helps you find the value of turning experiences where you might think that you're just trying to sell yourself or sell what you have to offer in any capacity into more of a intrinsically rewarding experience less of a means to an ends this is the psychology of self-promotion. Yo. Hello. How are you, sir? Hey, good to see you. Yeah, like yeah I'm doing well. Yeah. So it sounds like you've been doing well, or um, at least you've been taking massive action, as they put it on the internet, since... Um, since, your conversation um, with Stefan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, it was a good good kick up the butt. And um, it did pinpoint for me at least one major aspect of my hesitation. Mm. And it is a hesitation that I feel in the stuff I'm doing with the Rational Rise as well. That it's like this reluctance to go all the way with it because there is so much danger if I get into the world of philosophy and um, contrarianism in a public way, right. you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of perceived danger there. Um, and real danger if I succeed at it, if, you know, like we, we, the people we, um, admire who are doing really well at this, all mm -hmm. of them are under constant attack, you know? And, uh, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't feel terribly comfortable about, um, mm. maybe going into that lifestyle, but here I am inching towards it. <laughs> How do you feel talking about it at the moment? Um, I don't know. There's no, there's no, there's no obvious emotion there. There's some, there's probably something, but it's not, it's not obvious to me. I, I just, I feel comfortable, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. And supposing you envisage yourself. Um, speaking to an audience of a hundred thousand people online, supposing your videos were getting a hundred thousand hits, mm. 
is the feeling associated with that mostly anxiety or does it mostly feel awesome yeah that that just sounds awesome feels awesome to me that that idea um of having that that level of attention that's yeah no i'm i'm hungry for that okay what about um speaking to someone that you don't know and trying to convince them to buy a copy of your book. <laughs> yeah, well, there's 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 certainly more um, nerves, I guess, around that kind of salesmanship, and I've always shied away from it in, in the music stuff as mm. well. Um, I've, you know, sort of lately in the last couple of years, I've given myself permission to just stop um, bothering trying to sell my music to people mm. and convince people to buy it or any of that and just enjoy making it and put it out there and, you know, just sort of be quite apathetic about it. Um, and, and I didn't want, and I felt the, the same urge with the book when I finished the book and I didn't mm. want that to be, I didn't want to just roll that. Cause it's like, well, I know that, you know, I, I'm, I'm really aware of the problems in the music industry and the, the business in general and the economic design of the system. Mm. Um, and um, and I sort of reached conclusions in myself about what the struggle is like as an independent musician and spe- especially one who's chosen a fairly niche genre of music to, to play. Mm. Um, yeah, I sort of made my peace with that, but then I got to the book and it's like, well, actually, there's a whole, like, there's a whole lot of possibility here and much more so than my music. This product is designed to not only share intimately of myself, but to change the world like i want to change hearts and minds Mm. with this book i want this i want this book series to be my atlas shrugged you know that right um, that rocks the world you know and Mm. and wakes people up and you know just at least makes people close it and go fuck i've got a lot to think about you know um Mm. so and because that's what i wanted when i was writing it i to get to the point where i'm at now and then go yeah, you know, what'll be, what'll will be, and mm-hmm. if people like it, they'll buy it. Like, I know that's not um, good enough, so that's why, um, yeah, I've been looking for counsel. Um, well, it's, 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 there's two aspects to it with the call with Stefan. Mm-hmm. Yes, looking for counsel, um, but as I mentioned at the start of my video on it, you know, they contacted me um, out of the blue. Mike emailed me and said, hey, do you want to come on a call-in show? Um you know, because I'm, I was on their list of awesome callers. He said, so that was cool. And I said, oh, well, right. I said, well, yeah. Matter of fact, I'd love to. And my my head straight away went to, I've got a book to promote. I'd love to, mm. Um, mm. but I'm not just going to go on Steph's show and talk about my book and try to promote my book. That's not mm. a call-in show topic. And and I was recognizing in myself resistances to doing the work. You know, to like focusing and knuckling mm. down and and not procrastinating. So I thought, all right, well, I'll put that question about my self-knowledge to to Steph because that's what he does, mm. and we'll go from there. And if I can plug the book, I'll plug the book. And and it went it went really well on all counts because I think he really did help me see an aspect of it that I wasn't seeing in myself, and also managed to get a really good plug in for the book. And um, and I recorded it at my end, so I published it, and we're getting good traction with that video um, and good response and book sales have, you know, had a little spike. There's interest and, and yeah, I've just been trying to keep that momentum going now. And as I mentioned to you, there's been a few people contact me since that call in 
making various offers to help, yeah. you know, which has been great. And I'm going to take them all up on it. It's so good to get help and support um, when you're doing something like this, a creative project. It's so easy to feel like you're just doing it on your own. And, you know, well, yeah, the, yeah. the sigh is exactly the feeling that I feel uh, associated with doing everything on my own. Um, so it's really good to have other people working with you and it, f it feels like less isolating. Yeah, and, and I can say that of our, um, you know, relationship with the libertarian writing and commentary. It's like I'm, I'm really glad mm. that we can sort of pull our work and that you're contributing through your blog to our blog because it's like, um, you know, we have a, we have times where we go a couple of weeks where we're just all busy and we don't produce anything. It's like bang, right. bang, bang, Anthony's done three awesome economic articles like the, <laughs> things are moving you know All right, so awesome. it really helps us yeah. I never run out of things to say but um, returning to what we're talking about I'd like to bring up that feeling again of the idea of speaking to someone and uh, maybe someone you don't know and see if you can locate the emotion associated with trying to convince someone to buy your book and your body um the first word that sprung to mind I c like yeah I'm a bit out of practice of this feeling into it in mm. my body stuff so I'm sort of it's really it. it's, it seems a little bit woo woo but it's really really um effective yeah yeah i um yeah i remember <laughs> from our therapy sessions um but yeah um yeah i'll try to i'll try to get in the space because i mean the first word if it's any help that came to mind was um shame like there's mm. an anxiety about shame occurring mm. um and i know that like to give an example, like the other day I did a gig and just in the spirit of trying to just go, no, fuck it, I'm going to put myself out there, I started taking my original CDs to gigs again and I mm. had them at the front of the stage the whole three-hour gig and it just says CDs, $20, and here they are. And I just gave it a plug at the end of each set through the microphone and some people are listening, most people aren't. But, you know, I did it three times through the gig and they're there the whole time and then at the end um, a lady came up and she she wanted to buy one. And then I felt totally like comfortable mm. in telling her anything she wanted to know about sure. it. And, um, you know, like encouraging her, like she, she asked, Oh, are the songs that you played in that last set, are they on here? And I said, no, this is an original album. There's no covers on it. Um, but it's very much in the same style. And, you know, mm. inside under the shrink wrap is my website and you can, um, you know, hop on there and see me do lots of covers online as well. And that was enough. It was a good pitch and she bought it, mm. you know, I feel comfortable with doing sales stuff and selling my own products and myself to people when they've shown the first interest. Right. Uh, when I know that they're keen, when they're a lead. Right. You know? But cold calling, I fucking hate it. Like, mm. I really, yeah. I really yeah, there hate you go. it. <laughs> yeah, um, okay, so... Hmm, just as I suspected. <laughs> No, no, most people, most people do, most people do, yeah. and it is, I think that your anxiety and the kind of shame of trying to pitch something to someone is extraordinarily common, which is why um, good sales and marketing people 
make a shit ton of money because yeah. everyone needs them. Yeah. Um, and the the thing I thought about your call with Stefan is I think there was something in what he was saying, but my personal feeling was he was being a bit long-sighted in terms of he had a theory that your um, the reason why you weren't taking action was some kind of deep psychological fear of in the future um, being a target, which may play into, which may play into it. Oh, look, I think um, it's, I but, think it's part of it, yeah. and and it's definitely yeah. of all of the of all of the things that are. Uh, um, part of my psyche in this whole topic. Yeah. That is the thing that's most relevant to his show, you know? Um, right. So it, yeah, it's like, I was totally happy to go there and focus on that. But yeah, I agree. It's, I don't think it's the whole picture. Right. And there's no way, there's no way yeah. Stefan insightful as he is could have as, as big a picture view of me as you do. Cause we've spent time together talking yeah, about me I'm, and also me or the people around me, you know, are going to have a better idea of it. Yeah, I, I have a, as you know, I've got great admiration for Stefan Molyneux, uh, and I think from his frame of reference, that would be the most sensible reason, because it, it probably chimes with his own personal experience, you know, as he's um, written books and things like that, uh, and obviously put himself out in public and been the target of uh, lots of slander. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but what I th- what the notion that I thought was something like, oh, you know, what if I get famous and someone, um, I don't know, slanders me? I feel like that's more. Now that I'm re- thinking about it, that's more the kind of excuse you might make in the moment to not face the shame and anxiety yeah. about approaching someone. Yeah. So rather than that so that rather than that be the original reason for the shame and anxiety, that might be one of a litany of excuses you've got yeah. for not um for not speaking to people. So one might be, oh I don't know, you know, what if they you know, what if they, it's controversial, what if they don't like it and they think I'm, you, uh, or you might might think many things, it's like, I don't know if you, in any situation where you don't want to do something because it's kind of anxiety provoking, your mind is great at throwing up, you know, a dozen. Yeah, good reasons. <laughs> a, do, a dozen good reasons not to do it all of which seem plausible, but all of which are just designed um, by the, a part of the psyche to protect you from uncertainty, Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, definitely. Um, and so, and I, I agree that's, um, that's probably more mm. at the heart of the matter for me personally um, mm. because I do, so, I am, you know, I am already putting myself out on a limb and facing adversity mm-hmm in small ways and I, I don't like it. I don't like the adversity and, right. and, I, and I, I do take on some level when somebody leaves a negative comment on one of our YouTube videos mm. um, or a troll comes along or whatever, I do kind of take it personally and i got to really like, right. I've got to really will myself to just go, right. fuck them, like they don't, like they're idiots yeah. or they don't know me or who cares anyway. 
Like I have to really mm. consciously make myself not care that somebody's right. sending dislike my way. I want to be liked by everyone. I want everyone to love me right. know, at all times. Right. <laughs> hmm. That's an interesting... Uh... Right. I mean, I get so, that it's a totally unachievable and, and, and well, okay. uh, undesirable goal, really, but it's just, uh, it is a, my, I, I just observe that in myself from my reactions to negativity from people, is I always, sure. sort of, I, I'm uncomfortable with somebody not liking me, and uh, and I'm having to learn to get comfortable yeah. with that. Yeah. Because again, I've taken and a it, contrarian um, position yeah, in, in my process. politics, and um, you sure. know, that, that that's... Like I fully understand, I could make people, most people like me if I just you know stayed a leftist, SJW environmentalist, um, feminist. You know, yeah. I could I could just do the the PC uh, mainstream thing, and uh, and more people would like me. And I've chosen a path that is um, that is more true, in a world that is mm. full of um, very untrue people, mm. and. Um, Mm. or you know truthless people and uh yeah you know i i understand that's going to attract the thing that cuts me deepest <laughs> so that's 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 good right. for me i think to work through that yeah sure right so the anxiety about um approaching people is that similar to the anxiety of potentially receiving negative reviews or, uh, sorry, but uh, although that's an interesting thing that I said, negative reviews, I meant to say comments, negative yeah, well, comments. E on either, either. Um, yeah, I, I do fearfully anticipate negative reviews of my book, you know, and it's like so far so good. There's been like five and they're all really, really positive, but right. that's not going to be the case if it gets traction, you know. Uh, it's not going to be everyone who, who enjoys it on that level, especially when it starts mm. to get out to an audience who aren't already part of this sort of broader school of alternative thinkers that we're part of. Um, but, yeah, I do – yeah, I think it's it's a very similar emotion – um, that anxiety of receiving negative feedback is, yeah, is, is, is the reason why I don't like, you know, cold canvassing people to, um, to, to my products because I, yeah, I anticipate that I, you know, like I sent out a, I've got a mailing list for my music, um, mm -hmm. my music profile. And over the, over the years, it's built up to being like 1,007 people on the list. Um, right. So it's a pretty, you know, healthy little mailing list, um, captive audience there. And uh, and I hadn't used it in like two years. Even with my last album mm. coming out, I like didn't even, wow. didn't even let people okay. know. And then I did a couple of months ago. I was like, come on, like you've got them. They're there because they want to know about your music. Do it. And then when I do it, I sit there and I refresh and I, I watch the number of people unsubscribing, right. you know. Oh, um, right. And it's, okay. you know, there's always just a few, yeah. but it's like, yeah, like there's some part of me that it, it really does right. get a bit crushed by seeing like, right. hey, do you, do you want this thing I made? And I'm just going, right. fuck off. Never contact me again. <laughs> right, you know? right. Um, yeah, so I, do, right. I, I don't like this... that part of it. Right, okay. And so anyway, okay, um, this... so the final part of that is that last night um, in my new fuck it, I'm just going to do it anyway attitude that I'm trying to take after that call, from Steph is um, 
I was with my wife and talking about plans and I went, what am I doing? I've got a thousand people there who generally want to hear from me. Like I just tell them I've written a book. Who cares if it's not related to my music? It's still me. So I just tied in. I'm like, Hey, you're on my list because you wanted um, to check out my music and you've, I've sent you free music in the past. Um, But did you know I'm now a writer and I've just published a book. Here's a free sample. Here's a free sample of the audio book. Here's a link where you can find out more and buy it. See you later, you know? And, uh, and then, yeah, um, you know, same thing, just sort of sitting there refreshing going, oh, is anyone going to, is anyone going to click? And it's actually, it's <laughs> been good of the thousand people that it went out to, um, you know, there's an equal number and it's nowhere near like, um, it's like less than 10% have actually looked at it so far. Right, and, yeah. And of that, yeah, equal numbers like have, um, it's sort of like even thirds. It's like a third of them have um, have clicked one of the links and like downloaded the sample or gone and checked out my album because I re-mentioned my latest album mm-hmm. as well. A third of them have unsubscribed and a third of them have just opened it and then right. done nothing, you know? Right. Wow. Well, yeah, it's still a bit of, um, oh man, 33 people, but... But I think that's in part because you haven't contacted them in two years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the, the tr- any yeah. trust, they're like, who the fuck's this guy again? Like, yeah. He sent me a free EP two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, right. the, trust, the trust has got to be maintained. Right. So here I think is it because I just think we're a lot more motivated by short-term pleasure or pain than long term and um, I do, do you think mean we as in you and me or we as in humanity I, I, in I mean human, human beings in general yeah, yeah. to what to, to what um, degree that is um, conditioned by the fact that um, you get ordered around so much as a child that by the time you're an adult you're like oh I can't be bothered persevering with any I'm tired because you you start perceiving any instructions to yourself as orders. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, I've seen that so widely. It's like so many people have a part of themselves that wants to really do stuff. And another part that's like, stop bossing me around. I don't want to. Yeah. You know? And, and I think that and, part is probably quite closely related to the part that's like, I just want to be a kid again and crawl up and, you know, just have somebody else yeah. pay my bills. And that, that, exactly. that desire you, to return to the state of, uh, you know, not being responsible. Right. And when you, um, you really got animated when you demonstrated this idea of like, Please m- read my book, and then yeah, yeah. there's yeah, and then being rejected, you know, or or not even rejected. It's disinterest. It's like yeah. it's not it's not even that the person's rejected you. It's they've gone. I've got so much stuff on in my own life. I'm not even, you know, I can't commit to that. Yeah, and also, or or, and also, or worse, they've gotten like defensive because they've seen people come at them before wanting to sell them stuff and you know yeah they do like i fear them doing to me exactly what i do to cold canvassing salespeople in supermarkets right. you know where i just i just ignore them and keep walking like i right like don't come up and interrupt my conversation to sell me your shit that i don't want like i'm just mm. gonna pretend you're not there um and that's what i do right. as a defense against 
these people who I think yeah, are being really you don't they, want to get... they're disingenuous you know they're they're not interested mm. in me they're interested in my money and um and I hate to think that other people would feel the same way about me but I guess if I'm mm. cold canvassing people to sell them my book I am interested in their money I I certainly won't have time for a personal relationship with most of the people mm. who read my book so yeah, I guess mm. I gotta be real about that's that's what it is, mm. you know. Right. Right. What what intrigued you then? <laughs> I'm just trying to Right. So there's the the fear of rejection in terms of the childlike... Well, I mean, you want people to read your book and love it the same way that when you're a child and you draw a picture, you want, you know, oh, wonderful, you know, you want a bit of a fuss. Yeah. Uh, you'd like a bit of a fuss to yeah, be I'm made Yeah, like all of them to write a four-paragraph, five-star review, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> well, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Yeah. So, but the, the, the problem is this fear of... I think it's not like... It's the it's the disillusionment, the the anticipation of like an eighty or ninety to t a ninety to ten, um, maybe being optimistic ratio of like you know chapping people and most of them being like ah oh. and if you've not done it yet if you've not gone and spoken to a hundred messaged a hundred people personally yet then it's kind of like you. It's, uh, you know that um, thing, the Schrodinger's cat analogy? Um, have you heard of Schrodinger's cat? Yeah, yeah, but remind me. I have heard of it, but I've, I've forgotten the it's exact It's the, the experiment where, where uh, Schrodinger used it as an analogy to talk about quantum physics. He said, basically, it seems like, see if you had a cat in a box with some radioactive substance that could go off in a certain amount of time and after a certain amount of time the there's a 50% chance that the cat's alive and a 50% chance that the cat's dead until you look in the box the cat exists in a state of half being dead and half being alive yeah right <laughs> right it's not it's obviously not literally true but he said yeah, that yeah. you know quantum quantum mechanics appears to behave that way that right. until we observe until we observe the particle is neither here nor there it's 50% here and 50% there but how do they know that so, if they're not observing it how do they know what it looks like when they're not observing it well it behaves like a wave when it's not being observed it, how, it behaves but, like but how do they know what uh, it behaves like if they're not observing it uh, i think that might be a different conversation <laughs> Yeah. I know it's it's well. That's why a famous physicist said, "If you think you understand quantum physics, you don't understand quantum physics." I'll I'll, but, I'll concede um, that. <laughs> yeah, I'll concede that I don't so, understand it. But I fear I fear that's a, a different conversation yeah, sure, entirely, sure. right? But uh, so yeah, it, what's the analogy? Observing yeah. is collapsing the wave function. Okay, you know, you get a clear answer when you open up and look. Yeah, right. Yeah, and when you're not approaching these people. It's in a state of uncertainty. Yeah. You don't have to find out 
whether rejection really does lie behind that door or not. But as soon as you start knocking doors, you have to find out how many of them rejection hides behind. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I have to be prepared to, you know, cope with whatever percentage it is, you know, which is, like, statistically, it will be a majority of people will reject, right. you know, but I'm not after right. the majority, I'm after a healthy-sized yeah. minority who, who are willing Right. Um, and I think I think the the journey for me, however I go about it, is is getting getting comfortable with rejection. Right. That's uh, so. Frankly, I mean, it is exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I I mean I know I've tried to promote courses and um, uh, and services because you know I'm and I'm. In the free market, I'm completely independent. I don't have any government agency sending me anyone or any private sector agency sending me anyone. So I have to do a bit of chapping. Um, and yeah, um, when you know that you've got something that would benefit people or interest people and you you don't know how to market it. Well, I'm not saying you don't know how to market it, but let's say you, you've you got a good chance of a lot of people not being interested. It's kind of like someone, it's kind of like being in love with someone and being rejected because you're just like, I know this is so good. I know if you just give it a chance, you'll fucking love it. Yeah, right? that's, that's, that's with, my life story, you know, actually. <laughs> same with your, your love. Go tell me more. Well, in my childhood, you know, that was a real recurring thing for me. Right. Was becoming like infatuated or in love with, you know, girls mm. and like writing them poetry and drawing them yeah. portraits and leaving them flowers and, um, you know, really like going out on a limb but getting sort of rejected or mocked mm. enough times that it made me pretty um, – I don't know if that alone made me anxious of rejection but that definitely was part of it because it was a real direct right. experience. Yeah. And then, you know um, – you know, I, I I chose a series of girls in high school to pursue who mm. were like almost almost like ninety ninety nine percent you know guaranteed to mm. reject me because they were I was just you right. know um, you know punching above my weight is that the uh, um, I've heard is that the that, expression you know but um, that expression and and often it was um, going for older girls you know which is like right. you know hard to like. Um, girls who were like three years older than me in school which is a big yeah, deal yeah high school is and, like um, yeah, yeah, yeah massive yeah thing. and and i ended up um you know succeeding with one and, and was with her for eight years you know and mm -hmm. um from like 14 to early 20s and um you know that was like victory is mine and i shall keep her forever until right. I, until i later realized that the relationship was really you know quite toxic and um, yeah. for both of us and that we weren't really doing either uh, doing each other any favors here and that we would actually grow a lot more if we parted ways. Um, and yeah, so anyway, that sort of brings me to my sort of new life after that time. But yeah, that was a, a real big theme for me, I think was, um, was that unrequited love, you know, it was almost, right. almost spent my whole childhood in a state of unrequited love. Do you have a feeling associated with that at the moment? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would call it um, pity, like 
just or, or I don't know, empathy. I don't know, but I just I'm remembering myself. Sympathy. Yeah. Not, Can you feel uh, feel it feel it while you're talking? While you're talking, be aware of the feeling. Hmm. I wouldn't call it sympathy because I don't like I, I see sympathy as like really resonating with somebody else and like experiencing mm. their emotions. Right. And I see that past self. You feel as, sorry for yourself. Uh, yeah, I feel I feel sorry for like, for my past self. You know. Um, yeah, if you said if you were around, you know, as you now, and you met this kid, you'd be like, what would you say? Well, you know, I, I often when I when I think about my myself as a child and the and the things that I've become aware of that were my um, difficulties. Just one second, just plugging my charger in. Cool. Um, I often I often uh, sort of project the image of my son onto mm-hmm. my younger self, and I sort of think, right. you know, like if he is like me, if he turns out like me as he grows up and, and, and I see so much of it already, you know, mm. um, yeah. How would I, how would I have wanted my parents to talk to me about that stuff as it came up? Mm. Um, and in some cases it's, you know, repeating what they did do that was, that felt really right and helpful. And, mm-hmm. and then in other cases, it's changing it to something that I felt would have been better for me than what they offered. Um, but yeah, the, there's a, feeling of um oh uh, well there's other feelings emerging <laughs> there's uh, a feeling of i guess um a bit of regret or almost anger at my past self mm. not so much my child self but my young adult self um that i was that i wasted so many years on that stuff that I could have been putting to such better use mm. uh, in my learning and in, in my learning about myself. I was so, so you mean- arrogant and so closed. I thought I, I thought I knew everything I needed to know about myself mm. and I thought I needed, I knew everything I needed to know about the world, including that communism is a perfect utopia. It just hasn't been done right yet. Mm. All of that shit, you know, mm. I thought I had all those answers that had just been fed to me. And, um, and yeah, so I didn't read any books. I didn't do any self-knowledge work or, or learn, you know, try to learn about how to succeed in business or in, you know, any enterprise. Like I, I was just, and I was so arrogant that I really believed that my talent would make me rich and famous Mm. and my talent was enough. And that's all I'd ever need to work on was my talent. Um, and if I just got my talent to the right level, which I was on track for, um, then everything else would just fall into place. And I made some stupid, stupid business and relationship decisions based on that arrogance. So there's a bit of anger, I think, about that towards my past self and a bit of like, if I met my 20-year-old self, man... I'd have some fucking words with him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Hmm. But you were also... Sorry to bring uh, material from our previous conversation in, but um, 
It seems relevant. You're That's right, also... I, can, I can edit it out if it's not pertinent to a published, a published video. <laughs> oh, right. I don't know if you were going to pub- publish I, this I, conversation. I don't know either, so yeah, just, just go for it and I'll, I'll tweak it if needed. You're also under... Um, you, like, had a strong feeling like there was, um, like, it wasn't just arrogance. You had a worldview in which, like, destiny was guiding yes. you or, yeah, yeah. or you know, you, you there was something special about you for sure. And if you just did your bet, um, the universe would reciprocate. Yeah. So it might not all have been arrogance. You were maybe taking a, a leap of faith. And, you know, as that that leap of faith that you just throw your yourself into the arms of the universe and maybe it might catch you and it would catch you. Yeah, but I think that, um, you know, speaking, I guess, philosophically here, that that level of faith can so easily mm. become arrogance. Um, okay especially when it affected the way I chose to do my business and my apathy about paying attention to details and, you know, getting my ducks in line sort of thing. Um, I coasted along on that faith and it made me arrogant enough to not do things properly. Um, and that's, and those, those mistakes came about from the arrogance which came about from the faith I think in a way there's a bit of a line from one to the other so yeah yeah I think and I can definitely make inferences to my own childhood when I think of this there's something about being the 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 personality can react to kind of being lonely but um, you know, I'm sure when you grew up, you knew that to some extent there was something a bit different about you. Like maybe you were smarter than the average bear. I don't know if you were more empathetic as well. A lot of people that I end up working with experience in childhood that they were more intelligent than most of the adults around them, or at least they had a view. They had vision. They could see some things more clearly than people around them, but they were, but also not really being seen for that. And um, as a kind of like reaction, you end up thinking, well, you know, there must be spe- something special about me, or you know, I have some kind of destiny, and it's a way of compensating in the future for. Um, a lack of connection in the here and now, like sometime in the future I'll feel connected to my environment. Does that chime with you at all? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, almost to a T. Hmm. I experienced the same, um, if that's anything uh, and anything to you at all. Um, oh, and it's, it's kind of good to be out that. <laughs> um, to... Um, I mean, I've I've written a lot of letters to my younger self, and the um, when I'm doing journaling exercises and things, when I get to a point where it's like, uh, you know, that feeling of it wasn't quite pity. You weren't really quite able to put 
a word on it to to your younger self. I sometimes like write a letter like "Hey kiddo." Uh, I've never actually written "Hey kiddo," but you know that's the tone of it. Yeah, like yeah. you know to encourage myself because when I look back on my past, the main a time and time I again I notice. If I had someone wise to explain things to me, I wouldn't have made these mistakes. I don't know if that's the same for you. I don't know if you think 20-year-old James would have been like, what do you know, 30-year-old James? Or or you think that you really would have loved to have a, have a, um, a mentor. Um, but for me, I, I get a real sense that, look, there was no one to look up to. There were no really wise people like... Uh, t- to give you a context, like I remember once going to Aikido lessons and um, I just grew a goatee for the first time. I must, must have been like in my uh, like 16 or 17 and one of the facilitators, I said, I don't know if it suits me or not yet. And one of the facilitators, one of the teachers said to me, like, um, it doesn't matter if anyone else likes it. It just matters if you like it. And my jaw almost hit the floor. So unusual yeah. was the notion of an adult saying that to me and meaning it that I just was absolutely like I remember it to this day. That's how rare it was for someone to actually an adult to actually place value on me as an individual. Otherwise, yeah. it was just a complete arid desert. Yeah, yeah. And then it, he could have he could have just perfected that moment in your life if he then pulled out of his back pocket mm. a copy of the Fountainhead. And handed it to you. you know, <laughs> right. That would have been like, "Hey, kiddo." <laughs> uh, I yeah, I don't know if I was quite ready for the fountainhead at that particular juncture in, <laughs> sure. in my life, but sure. um, that um, spe- yeah. But I take your point. You know, that speech had the right. So I was on the internet looking for well, a bit later, looking for mentors, as I think probably you know that's probably what caught your interest in someone like Stefan Molyneux. Um, when I when I come across them, it's like wow, you know. After watching a few shows, it's like wow, this Scott guy's got some real insight and he's got a lot of stuff figured out. And he was he was one of a series of. Um, so I'm sorry. I feel like I've strayed away from where I was going by bringing this up. Yeah, to be there for your younger self and not too judgmental. Um, it might be a process because I think that in the past, I don't have a vis. Yeah, if I looked at myself more often, I'd be like, "What an idiot! What an idiot!" And I'm not saying that I never think that, but more often, I think, "Damn, you know, if I just had some like really kind, warm, wise adults, you know, around me." to talk about what was going on for me, they would have been able to point out my blind spots. And it's it's a point of irony. It's probably no coincidence that I've basically ended up in a profession where I'm giving people something that I never really got. Well, I mean, I mean, I have gone to therapy, but the, 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 in, the child inside me yeah. never really got... Yeah, um, yeah. Not, not that I see myself as a mentor or anything like that, although I would like to try and hold myself to as high a standard as possible because yeah. I'm in a p- position of authority. That's not how I would frame myself. But, um, 
but and basically the thing is it's quality of attention it's quality of attention when you're a kid everyone wants to tell you what to do and for the main part as an adult most people want to tell you what to do um, whereas a really good influence in your life listens to you mm. becomes clear on the issue asks you questions and then maybe offer some advice if they if they have some or offer some experience if they have some but maybe just giving you that quality of attention is enough and that's what I I do you know I'm a quality of attention giver yeah a, a quality of attention giver so it's not about being a mentor now it's about just that gift that gift of curiosity and interest and um, I'm guessing that was to a large degree missing from your upbringing. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it's, it, this thought's been bouncing around in my head as you've been talking about mentors and I, and I look back through my life and I realize um, I really had none until right. two years ago and I really, really... Wow, that's a long time, man. Never, that's like... And I never looked for one and I never felt I needed one, you know. Right. And, um, and my dad was the closest thing in my life to a, to a mentor or, or to that, um, that sort of relationship you're talking about. He, he's the kind of guy who's always been there for me. If I call him up and say, Dad, I need you, he's like, he's there, he'll listen, he'll hear the whole story. But um, – and he always – he was always willing to share his, his wisdom, you know, and his, uh, his own sort of frailty – honestly with me and his own mistakes and that sort of thing you know there's always been a, a really good intimacy with my dad um, but I think a lot of my like teen years and young adult years I was just so closed to any any mm. advice he was going to offer me um, you know because of that intimacy because of that like mm. you know obviously the longest relationship with any man I've had is with my dad mm. and there's so much stuff there that I maybe wasn't able to draw that positive mentor experience from mm. it in a way that I would with somebody who's a little more detached from my life, you know, and a bit more of a professional right. or coaching sort of relationship. But the it, the interesting thing I just realized is that I never had any mentors. Um, there were a few around, like a few pe ca candidates around me, like in my uni years, there were mm. people who, um, you know, who took a shine to me and who I really liked and saw that they had wisdom, but I never never thought to, to sort of try to extend that relationship ever. Um, and, and never thought in the many years since, um, university that I would need to find people to look up to. And like I said, I mean, mm. I, I didn't read books, you know, like I've, I've read as many books. I've read like maybe 30 books in the last year and, mm. you know, a dozen or more the year before that. But prior to, um, Prior to reading um, Everyday Anarchy by Stefan Molyneux, I maybe read 30 books in my whole adult life, like from teen years and up at the most. Maybe not even that, maybe 20 or 15. So I wasn't seeking knowledge. I had the answers already, mm. you know. Um, right. And right. I didn't, and I and I only really became aware in the last two years how much all of those answers that I thought I had were spoon-fed to me by my parents, by my teachers, 
by the media, by my society, and I didn't have any real opinions that I'd formed myself. And I'd never really challenged any of my own opinions about the world or the music industry or any of that. So, um, yeah, and now, now I feel like I've got so many mentors, you know, like, um, and I feel so enriched by that. And I feel so productive and so alive. And so, um, like, like I said in the last, I mean, I think the, the amount of books I've read is, is quite, um, correlative to the, like the amount that my head has just gone with ideas and knowledge and inspiration, really? uh, because of the quality of the books I'm reading mm. and, um, you know, fiction and, and nonfiction. And yes, yeah, that's seeking, seeking mentors now. And that seems to be what I'm doing. Um, now mm. as I'm just like, I'm like so hooked into Jordan Peterson right now. I'm like just trying to consume everything that guy does because right. it's just so inspiring for my book series and, and just my, right. my worldview is opening up another level, you know? Um, and yeah. then, you know, even people like yourself with the economic stuff and, and the, and the therapy, um, that you've given me has been awesome. And then, you know, Stefan has been great and he was kind of like the first red pill and I've spent mm. heaps of time consuming his material, but I'm, you know, now sort of moving on and paying my main focus to other, other people. And Ayn Rand, obviously a huge one. And mm. yeah, it's like, and I, and I feel this excitement knowing that like, I'm not going to settle on any, any one of them. Like I'm just going to keep looking mm. for like, how can I level yeah. up that knowledge and that, um, awareness? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you you know you assimilate the best or, or what resonates with you from lots of different people, and you make you know you make a nice collage. You've got you've got your internalizations of these tables, people around the table. When you go into life, you're like um, your superhero council yeah. <laughs> in, in, in your head. You've got like what would Jordan Peterson say about this? What would yeah. Stefan? say about this and then yeah. you're you've got allies because you've in, you've internalized these models so that's and, and, interesting and, and that contrasts to the past where it's like it was pretty much um what do i think right and that's it unless i'm in crisis and then it's right dad what would you do right and that was right sort of, that was it you know that was that was the extent of my Jedi Council. <laughs> right, right. I've got you. So that's a, it's interesting because um, I'm trying to to kind of click into your um, what that was like for you throughout your twenties because it's it's markedly different from the situation that I was in. So um, it's like you. The any uncertainty was filled for you with assumptions. Would you say that's accurate? Like yeah. you, you know you right. Yeah. No, I think that's that's pretty pretty bang on. Um, you know, assumptions so you, you just being that sort of preloaded um, propaganda. Um, right. You know about the world, about the universe, about the nature, like you know the the metaphysics and epistemology of the universe. You know, just like in, pre-installed, you know, by by the world right. around me, and never challenged internally. Right, right. 
And I bet you thought you were quite an individual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are all individuals. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. It's my, fa- yeah. it's my yeah. favorite line from a Monty Python film <laughs> ever. Um, all right. But yeah, no, I did. I, I definitely, um, I, you know, I wasn't a sheeple. You know? <laughs> yeah. No way. I was, I was cutting edge and, uh, and I, and I had enough, I did enough quirky stuff and bold stuff. Um, you know, being into like musical theater and school and, and, mm. you know, being the unashamed, you know, well, at least perceivedly unashamed, um, muso nerd at school. Mm. Um, you know, the, and then I ended up by the end of high school and then throughout university and stuff, I got enough like big old pats on the back academically and socially for, you know, being, being smart, being talented, being edgy, that I, I really did think, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm like exceptionally individual here and, and, um, you know, exceptionally well-informed. And, you know, the irony is that I, I still think that now, but now mm-hmm. I, I think I'm more objectively, you know, demonstrably, right. uh, well-informed, right. <laughs> um, right. because I have challenged my own assumptions. You, you can, um, you know, it's a check that can that you can cash now. To use that horrible hip hop term. Oh my god! Uh, uh, yeah, no, uh, I think it's I think it's a good, good yeah, analogy. It's like, yeah, it's like it's not bluster. Like you've come to live up to your self image. You know, Nathaniel Brandon always wrote "Self Image is Destiny," and I, I love that he wrote that because it's like. Um, I see it all the time. Um, I, I made I a, the, the irony a is, I don't know, like the, the people who've known me my whole life, apart from the ones that I'm like, mm-hmm. really intimate with and I've shared this whole journey with, but the people who, like, you know, high school friends or whatever, who I still have sporadic contact with today or Facebook contact or whatever, I wonder if they just look at me and they just go, yeah, same old James. Like, he's always been, right. he's always thought he's the most well-informed he's always been cocky he's always been it would be, bold and and done quirky shit um it would be interesting to find out yeah think, um, maybe i'll do know, a facebook survey a, ask if, <laughs> yeah to ask um if they've noticed any difference in you or they, they perceive you differently mm. right so there's that i think if there's what my guess would be if there's one thing that people who've known me a long time have noticed as a change in me, it would be my ability to make enemies and piss people off has like, right. has exponentially increased in the last two years since I've, you know, challenged my own assumptions about the world. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you did have, um, I, w- I meant to say earlier, you know, you did have a major challenge come up once, which I think must have been pretty, well, I know was very anxiety provoking because yeah. it was like, people had some judgments of you that would be considered really, really serious. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, you know, as, as laws have, um, you know, changed in Australia by some interpretations of law, you know, the, the criticisms or the accusations laid upon me, uh, and my, and my crew, you know, could potentially fall under illegal now, you know, cause it's like, is it hate speech? That whole, thing and we've right. got a, we've got a law against hate speech in Australia you know which is 
I mean, that's that's a topic for another video as well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but like all of these things kind of pop into my head and it's like, shit, you know, like, yeah. Like, you know, I could end up in jail. Yeah. Social ostracism is bad enough, but what if there's actual like, you know, legal ramifications for having uh, an illegal opinion? <laughs> it's it's right. shit. Yeah, that is scary. I just want to circle back to this to the visceral feeling, the everyday feeling. And, you know, most people, uh, myself included, will get fed up of chapping people and being rejected. But what, what, um, what came up when I was speaking before is, remember we were talking about this quality of attention? Yeah. That most people don't need to give don't, sorry, most people don't know how to give other people... Oh, yeah, there was something I meant to mention before that. I wonder if the reason why you didn't... One of the reasons why you didn't seek out mentors is kind of like, um, you know, when you've not had something for long enough or you've not had something, you don't actually... The system, the system doesn't recognize your need for it, right? So, like... For most of my life, my hamstrings were really, really, really tight, right? And I've been doing yoga, and now when they get, um, when I, when they're, they start getting tense, I really notice. Yeah. But right. for most of my, but for most of my life, I didn't even realize that my hamstrings were unhealthily tense, like Man, really, really bad. I know that mine are like that's that's what of my right. sort of physical, yeah. Uh, limits or right. perceived right. limits or self-imposed limits but yeah I've got like freakishly short and tight hamstrings and can't do an LC. right and that and right okay and that doesn't um surprise me because I've noticed that um well I mean physical condition also relates to certain aspects of mental condition and I've noticed that a lot of people who have um, certain problems or certain challenges that we might have or have had in common often actually have tight hamstrings. It's it's really it's really interesting. It's re like absolutely fascinating how far you can get into this stuff. Uh, but we'll we'll talk about that another time. So I'm wondering if the the because you never had mentors, you didn't you know really realize how you didn't see the value of it and after a while it just became part of the furniture like you know adults just kind of tell you what to do or impose their opinions on you or other people you know they don't actually no one ever opened you up in such a way that you became known to yourself just by them taking curiosity in you yeah and then when they did and then when they did offer you feedback it wasn't about them getting you to do what they thought you would do. You should do. Usually, when people told you what to do, it, they had some kind of agenda. So to have someone open you up, so you become more known to yourself, and then maybe offer you something of their own experience. Oh, you know, I once did this and I got bad results, but then I did learn this, and then I did this and I got better results in a way that was completely non-imposing. Mm. So you can go, hmm, maybe I can do that too. And when someone says it with a kind of tone of, look, take this, if you can use it, great. If you want to completely ignore my advice, it's your life. And I'm cool with that. 
that so rarely happens. People don't yeah. actually that, know how that, to detach. And that's the level that my my dad couldn't get to for obvious reasons, right. you know. Uh, and right. I, like, I know, I know he really tried to to be right. that person right. in my life, and he, and he right. still tries, you know. But we, you know, we can't deny the attachment. Um, Yes, past and, it's and very future hard that we do. have to each other, you know, like, and, right. and he is attached to, you know, very, you know, specific kind of outcomes in my life, like about me being happy and healthy and, you know, like not suffering and all of that kind of stuff as a father should be. He's interested in my best interests. Yes. Um, and also emotionally attached to that outcome. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because um, he wants you to do what he thinks is right for you. Yeah. And at times, okay. I, so, you know, I've, I've viewed him as an authoritative figure. I don't really anymore. Like we've got a, I think we've got a, a healthier, more horizontal relationship now. But in the past, because I've seen him as authoritative or like he has this agenda as, as the dad, that there's a resistance in me to, you know, the wisdom that he was trying to offer when I was younger. But yeah, right, what, but the, the right, role that yes, you are describing, you, you I, I, never, I never had, you know. I, exactly. I never had that. So you wouldn't... You would never know the value of it until you saw it, and um, so so that could be another reason why you you weren't really much up for turning to people because more or less they're just going to give you their biased prejudices, and even if they do care, it's a skill, man. It is it is a real, just like you can have the best intentions of, in the world. But if you don't have the skills in any field, whether it's you know building a bridge or this social, this kind of social interaction, the best intentions in the world with the wrong tools will not build that damn bridge. And like you know, and likewise with this stuff, this empathy stuff, this understanding, you can care about people. But if you don't know how to be present to people, you're only going to get, you're only going to help so much. When you can, you know, as I, the reason why I'm really good at what I do is I don't see the other person's problems as my problem. I care deeply for the people I work with. But I never take it on. Like some people, a lot of people ask me, is that not like really hard and stressful? And like, do you not like take a lot of emotion away? Do you, does it not get you down? And I'm like, no, I, I, I love it. I find it fulfilling. I, mm. I, 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 um, I, I love the fact that people invite me into their life to put their heads together with me to try and improve it with them. Because... I'm involved, I've got total involvement, but it's not, there's not a merging of an emotional boundary where your emotion becomes my emotion and I take it on, or I think I'm responsible for solving your problem. I don't. I will try and put my head together with you to help you solve your problem, and if I know anything that might help you, I wouldn't keep it to myself, I'd share it, but that wouldn't be my main priority to like share you know, share my accumulations. I, I, and if I do, I'd share them in such a way as to say, here's something that I learned or here's something that I've experienced. And I've very much got that attitude of if you can make use of it, great. If not, 
fine. You know, I don't want to impose my. So at the end of the day, you're going to make your decision. I respect you. When I say you, I mean people in in general. I believe you have the capacity to make good decisions. I believe you have the capacity to learn from bad decisions how to make decisions and better decisions in future. So I'm going to try and help cultivate that in you because I believe you can do that. And if I have anything to offer, I'll offer it. If you want to take it on, great. If not, it's your life. And I, I respect your your autonomy. And so few and that and learning to come to that stage where you can engage with people like that is definitely a skill. It can definitely be learned. Maybe some people are better predisposed to it than others, but whatever level you're at with those skills is cultivated. And sorry to go on a like a mad tangent. But what I was So what I think the the thing is is this quality of attention that was missing for you growing up like is exactly the opposite of the quality of attention and the interaction of trying to sell someone something. It's like first of all, they're not interested Sorry, sorry. I'm not assuming that they're not interested, well, but a lot of people yeah, aren't. Majority yeah, aren't. Yeah, a lot yeah. of people aren't going to be interested. It's not based on a quality. It's not an interaction that's based on a quality of attention. Hmm. And if you make it based on a quality of attention, the emotional stakes are higher because it's like, oh, I've really invested, and like, yeah, and yeah. oh, and then it's even more. Um, so, so from both ends, it's like you said. Uh, ultimately, if I'm trying to sell a book, I'm trying to make some money. Um, so, actually, I am like that salesperson in the supermarket in a way. And you've got all sorts of negative associations, but it's just because it's it's not like a high caliber interaction, at least the way that your mind's framing it. So, I'm wondering if. I don't know. I, I'm just kind of rolling with my thoughts at the moment. I'm just wondering if there's a way of making it a bit more of an animate process where like you reach out to people and you're, you're like, hey, how are you doing? Um, not spoken to you in a while. Tell me what's going on in your life and, um, you know, pay them some attention and turn that into an end in itself. Mm. Like... Um, rather than a means to selling the book, like be totally engaged in the process for however long it, it might take. I mean, you can be doing it with with the wonders of Facebook Messenger. You can be catching up with quite a lot of people in the time. Take a genuine interest in them um, and find out um, who's going to reciprocate that interest and um, tell them about your book and say... It would be it would really mean something to me um, if you picked up a copy, mm. um, read it, read it, and um, told me what you thought. Mm. Um, you know, put your heart into it, turn it into something that's completely different from the um, interaction between the shop salesman and you, and if they buy it 
fantastic. And if they don't, depending on how they don't, you're getting good information, you know, on on, on the quality of of people. I'm not saying if they don't buy it, they're necessarily a bad person or or they or they don't care about you or whatever. No, I'm getting but good. You, I'm getting feedback there. You know, like it's it's the market forces. You know, like I'm getting the, uh, right. the feedback from them about about the quality of my interaction with them, and it may be useful yeah. for me in future with other people or with them. Sure. Uh, if not, and you, at least knowing, okay, well, that's a that's a dead end, and I'll leave you alone, yes. kind of thing. And also the level <coughs> of involvement, the level of involvement they have in your life, mm. or or want to have in your life. Um, if I can mention one or two of my own experiences, I'm conscious of the fact that I've been doing most of the talking for the last little while. No, that's that's fine. Um, with me. Um, when I wrote my little ebook, um, Common Misconceptions About Capitalism Debunked, which you can get at www.anthonysamroff.com uh, for free, <laughs> uh, for, uh, for free um, I'd accumulated like a couple of hundred libertarians over the years, uh, and I just basically messaged everyone one by one saying, I could have done it, I could have been more... I could have put more into it. I could have uh, asked them how they were doing first, but yeah. that that would have been time consuming. Um, um, I guess it's it's a like if these are people you've had real interactions with, then you know that's that's a really great way to do it. Is like you know obviously yeah. just like if we're mates on some level. Mm. Include well, the that thing is, in there. yeah, and I, I hadn't thought of that in the time. If I could mm. go back as um, me now. And do it, and do it, and go back. Then maybe that's what I do. Maybe that's what I'll do when I finish my next project. But basically, a lot of these libertarians were just accumulated, basically, over the years from you know, adds me from Facebook groups, us, and we'd barely interacted. Yeah. And for me, it was kind of like I don't want to say a test, but it was kind of an empiricist thing because I wanted to know who's actually interested in interacting with me here. Right, because I haven't barely spoken to some of these people, and a lot of them were like, "Oh, thanks, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out." And a lot of them uh, didn't reply, mm. and um, I, I maybe asked them from my friends list because, uh, and let, or maybe I, I, I tried to contact them again, and uh, at some point about something different, and if there was no interaction, because I thought, look, if you're not interested in my content. You're not sending me your content, mm. you know. You're just like a cloud in the sky of my Facebook contacts, and I can't see the sun because I've got so many bloody clouds. <laughs> and there, yeah, but there was a couple of people, maybe I think two, maybe out of out of three hundred or whatever, that um, I got into a really good conversation with. And I was like, wow, there was a couple of gems in there. Don't get me wrong, there was a bunch of people in that number that I interact with regularly anyway yeah. but the people that I never really was interacting with I discovered that I had a couple of awesome people in my friends list that yeah, yeah. that that I never knew now we're kind of taking this to another level which is the the notion of actually Engaging with people and giving them some attention first, you know, this um, people don't care what you know until they know what that you care. And um, 
you know, being a bit, bit curious about people, finding out what's going on for them. And when they turn it around and say, so, yeah, what have you been up to? You can say, well, you know, I just finished this book and um, speak about it and say, you know, I'd, lo- I'd, lo- I'd, I'd love it if you got a copy. And, and, and whatever way, I'm just sure that there's so much to to learn um, to learn and it's worth trying a hundred times even if it's to conclude that no this isn't the right approach you know you wouldn't know if it's the right approach um to be honest like with with me and and the whole um you know the the dilemma that i I feel is you know rapidly clearing um because i've been mm. really engaging with it in myself and talking about it a lot lately and and taking Mm. action on it but um, I've got so many like ideas and, you know, some really good tools and, and a little bit of marketing, um, uh, skill, you know, and knowledge, mm. uh, obviously there's still lots to learn, but, um, one thing I think I am really good at is engaging with people in a sincere mm-hmm. and reciprocal yeah, you've way. Got s- yeah. Um, and I, and I, yeah. and I have practiced that in, you know, text form and, and in mm. you know, messaging people already with the book, like, there's been a few people from the free domain radio community who took an interest early cause I let them know about it. And, um, and they've really stuck with me on this journey. And, you know, like one of them, I ended up hiring her to do the website for me. And she, you know, she and her husband were, um, editing a first draft of the book for me, just, you know, helping me with, um, grammatical errors mm-hmm. or story problems. And it was really, really great. And, you know, like they're really rooting for me on this journey now. And, um, and we've got this great friendship out of that, Initial Great. like, hey, would you like to check out my book, my early draft of a book yeah. kind of thing, and and then other people who've read the finished version have contacted me directly, and and you know one guy contacted me, and man, like, oh, he he, it was so good. He said to me, and he's one of the first guys to read it, also from the free domain radio community. He bought the the paperback and read it, and uh, and he said to me, I like, I've never seen a movie read a book or heard a piece of music that has moved me more than this book that's so wonderful and i was just like oh, oh yeah please put that on amazon.com <laughs> you know like yeah thank you that is yeah. that is the best you know please um and I, and, and he, he gave me permission to share those words and i've you know shared mm. them where i can because um you know obviously social proof is a big thing in, yeah. in marketing, but also just for me, like it's such a badge of pride. It's like, pride. hey, for all you yeah. people who can't be bothered reading it, that's fine. It's your life, but this is why I'm proud of it. Like, yeah, this book has yeah. power to change lives, and I believe that. And um, yeah, you know. So anyway, that you know that relationship with with that guy is ongoing. We're we're talking, and and um, we're involved in a, you know, like a limited level because he's in the States and it's a Facebook friendship mm. we've never met, but we're involved a little bit in each other's lives. You know, we've, we've talked nice. to each other a bit about stuff going on around um, social problems that come from having contrarian views and all of that. So to wind it back to what you were saying, mm. I, I totally agree about your the approach yeah. you're suggesting and I, and I have... Mm. Um, employed that a lot right. and I like that that's okay. my favorite way to engage with people yeah and I yeah. don't actually have a problem with um, engaging in that reciprocal mm-hmm. honest um, caring level with people the problem I have or have had up to this point up to a few days ago the problem I've had is just finding the will to just begin you know right to just go right. all right let's talk to jump start the engine yeah yeah right 
yeah, so one, once I, once I, like once I can force my will, will myself, as I have been in the last few days, I will myself to just go, just send it out to everyone. Just mention it again. Just update your Facebook banner to be the book cover. Just put it in people's face, get the conversation mm. started, give them the call to action. And those who come back, like, come at me. I'm ready to, I'm ready to get to know you. You know, I'm ready to talk about ideas nice and, and find out about you and, and, uh, you know, to whatever degree I can maintain that with all the people who do take an interest um, in these early days, that's, I'm really keen to do that. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, please make James a very happy man. Go on Amazon and get your copy of The Ghost of Emily. If you would like some coaching, in the delicate art of self-promotion, send me a little email, anthony at beyourselfandloveit.com. And until next time, of course, be yourself. Well, don't just be yourself. Be yourself and love it.